Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And tonight we are going to be talking about modern web app front ends. Uh, so a lot of this stuff is, is kind of new developments in the in the front end areas of web apps. A lot of this, while while we're not talking specifically about Rails in in most of this, this kind of got prompted by a lot of the changes that are being talked about uh, recently with Rails 7 and things that are coming up. So um, we're just going to kind of go through it and talk about the concepts and what we think our uh, changes are. And a lot of it's going to have to do with JavaScript. Um, so that's that's the big Yay, my thing. cup of tea. Yay. Not. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so I and honestly, I think most Rails devs are not jumping up and down about JavaScript. They do it because they have to in a lot of cases. Um, well, it depends, I think. Yeah, so. I mean, there were bits of it I enjoyed, and I I, I thought it, it it's cool yeah. some of the things I could do with it. But the it, it, it was always just kind of a real pain in the butt to use. So... Um, Anyway, we're going to talk through all this stuff, talk about what changes the, the past, present, future of JavaScript and uh, some of the changes that are coming in Rails 7 and and the JavaScript ecosystem as a whole, things that are changing that are that are allowing these changes in 7. So, um, without any further ado, why don't you start us off? Okay, so could you put up the post? So a lot of this show came from this post. That's basically modern web apps without JavaScript bundling or transpiling. Yay! <laughs> so bundling is basically the process of putting everything together in a, like an NPM, you know, using NPM to like do a bundle or yarn to bundle up your JavaScript um, or transpiling where you're, uh, it's kind of like not compiling, but you're basically writing one form and have it translated into another language that runs, like writing CoffeeScript and have it translate into JavaScript or writing, oh, what's that? What's that one that Microsoft people use a lot? Um, dang, it starts it the, starts with an R. I'm not talking about React, but. Oh, for the JavaScript? God, yeah. I, I can't even remember. I, anyway. Thought that was a big trans, enough mess. I, I didn't try transpiles, to. Yeah, but it transpiles <laughs> into JavaScript. So. Anyway, so this post walks through being able to use JavaScript without doing that. And basically saying there's a number of things that are coming down the pike that will make this more of a reality. The first thing he talks about in this post is ES6 support um, in that all the major modern browsers will support it. And the one holdout has been, he says, IE11 but that will be end of life as of June, 2022. So in a matter of, you know, nine more months or so. I'm gonna have to deal with that dumpster fire much longer. So, yeah. So, so that's one thing. So working with ES6 version of JavaScript is, it feels a lot more like a programming language compared to previous versions with the changes that have been made. Uh, the second change is support for HTTP2. 
So the reason this is significant because it allows you to download many files in parallel um, with HTTP, sorry, HTTP one. Yeah, exactly. They only allow, browsers only allow a certain number in parallel. And even some of them can block the whole loading of other things. So you have JavaScript that you're waiting to download and it blocks you know, some page renders. Whereas things can happen in parallel much more easily with each, with number two. <laughs> Usually so, what I think. <clears throat> the other thing it does is that uh, that version, the latest version of HTTP supports a lot of prioritization. So you can really customize and even wait, from my understanding, wait how many research resources should be dedicated to downloading what next. So you can prioritize things you want to come up in the screen first and then other stuff later. So with that flexibility leads to kind of what they're going with here. And the next thing is JavaScript import apps. So this is basically, so with ES6, you can import, I mean, they consider modules or files where you can basically pull in different bits of JavaScript. And normally you have to specifically give, you know, exactly where the file is or maybe a version. And a lot of times what Rails applications do, and I'm sure a lot of others do, is they fingerprint the version that they're using so you can cache it for a really long time. Well, that kind of makes your code, basically you would have to change your import designations within your code everywhere whenever you change a version, particularly if that file is fingerprinted for some reason. What imp JavaScript import maps do allow you to use a friendly name and have it translate to the actual exact version that you want. And that way, whenever you want to update a package, you just go to this one file, the import map, to change the mapping to it. So it makes things a lot more convenient. Now, not all the browsers support that yet, but they say there are some shims you can get to um, support some browsers that don't. I think they mentioned Firefox yeah. as one. So here's kind of an example of what he's talking about. Instead of putting this mess in your code as the import, you can just do this and it'll figure all the rest of this out. Yeah, basically your mapping file says stimulus points to that mess, as you said. Right. And if you change that version to the next mess, <laughs> you just change it in the import map and you know all your code will be able to find everything. Which is good for, I mean, that's going to help a lot with caching and stuff like that. So you don't have to have this glob <laughs> JavaScript file. And every time you change a bit of it, the whole thing has to be re-downloaded. You can just, you can keep all these files separate with the HTTP2 uh, and then this takes care of the, the cache keying so that it knows, hey, this is stale. I've got to get a new one because it's a completely different file name at that point. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, so forever, the asset pipeline in Rails, and I'm sure other frameworks do something similar, has grabbed all the JavaScript and the similar thing for CSS2 and put it in one big bundle and you know, minified it, removed all the white space and everything, 
And that was the one JavaScript file delivered on any page load. So even if you're loading a page that is uses zero JavaScript, you're still getting this huge ball of JS. Right. The advantage of that is that, okay, it's cached and now any subsequent page visits are fast, but you know, it is a hit to take for that first page load. When you're visiting a site for the first time, it's nothing cached. And then as you say, if you change one character <laughs> in that bundle, the whole thing is redone, gets a new fingerprint. So that whole thing needs to be thrown out because from the cache, because it won't be used anymore and you've got to re-download it again. Right. So even if you updated one module, uh, and none of your actual code that you wrote changed, but you just upgraded the version of a module. The browser has to re-download every single bit of JavaScript, assuming you're using the asset pipeline. Which is nasty. And and to be fair, I mean, up until recent developments, like with HTTP2 and, and these other things, like this, the importer and stuff, that was the best way to do it because you wanted one minified file going down instead of a hundred different little files. Yeah. And there, there have been some other techniques that people have done to mm -hmm. like on a particular page load, there's other tools that I was, I had heard about, but I never really investigated or got into because it wasn't like built into rails. So I never kind of pursued it, but there was a way to like, and even today you can define multiple JavaScript uh, files that are created by the asset pipeline. So you can create multiple ones and load certain ones. So there is a way around that, but the default action is to have just one big, you know, ball of JS. Right. Um, so what they're looking at is no longer having to bundle all, all of these modules together, but just have them directly downloaded and avoiding the, because of HTTP2 being able to get exactly what you want using the JavaScript import maps. And then getting rid of the transpiling is basically being able to write pure ES6 and not have to like have Babel support or all these other things to Coffee kind of like write the, write, write, write the JavaScript you the way you want, but still have it run in the browsers you needed to run it. Right. So I read this post and I was like, Yes, please, because forever I have been unhappy with actually the JavaScript in my application. I've never felt like it's appropriate, right, correct, um, because before I got into Rails, writing JavaScript was basically just script tags on a page. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you want this to work, you just put a script tag in and you can run it. And that always works. And even today, when you go and you use a new tool, like you get uh, look at a WYSIWYG editor. They have a way where you can basically you just paste script tags that pull in their JS file and you put your own script tags and you can get working with it immediately. There's nothing to build. There's no JavaScript pipeline to worry about. There's no, you know, no yarn, no NPM. You just links to the code you want. It pulls it in. You write your code within the page itself. I'm not saying that's a great way to do it, but I'm just saying it works every time. Right. Whereas the amount of time that I have been frustrated by this whole JavaScript pipeline, even with the asset pipeline, trying to 
get things working on occasion and you know debugging problems that have happened i've spent tons of time trying to do that making sure Whereas, the builds all go right for for deploys and all that kind of stuff the transpiling yeah. and all that mess and things get re-fingerprinted properly and it, it yeah i've struggled with that myself and you know i know many many programmers who have also struggled with that it's been a pain yeah so anyway so i mean i just kind of wanted to also kind of go through the history of this stuff because as i was thinking about this i found it very interesting that you know so this post was by dhh you know the inventor of rails essentially and i was looking at the history and javascript history specifically with rails and it has been all over the map yep <laughs> so like when we got started on rails um you know they had javascript and they were actually using the prototype framework so and that was like rails 2 or something i don't think i got in before that so I think at that point they were yeah. still having a big balls of JavaScript, uh, you know, with, I think fingerprinting was a thing then too. I can't really remember that may have been a little bit later. A little bit. Cause I got into this right when two came out, I managed to okay. skip rails one, but yeah, I remember messing with prototype and oh my God, I did a lot to try to stay away from it as much as I could. <laughs> But the thing about it is, like, even then, if someone had a JavaScript link, you could always put it on a page and then write your own script tags to do it, add additional JavaScript scripting, and it would always work. Right. So, you know, there's something to be said for that. And the reason why I'm going to keep mentioning this is because that's kind of what they're going for. It's kind of like going back to the beginning. Anyway, so, like, the next... Kind of change I kind of thought about is that they threw prototype out the window and started using JavaScript. So now everything, excuse me, not JavaScript, jQuery. jQuery. So everything was jQuery. And of course, what you started to get with that, because I don't know, and this is kind of my thinking about it, but JavaScript or ECMAScript, probably more exactly, was always kind of a scripting language and not really a programming language. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, it's taken forever to actually get a lot of the features and capabilities that we take for granted in a programming language, <laughs> for lack of a term, real programming language, or one that started off as a programming language, like say Ruby or Python or whatever. Right. But, you know, so, but with that jQuery, you seemed like a lot of times ended up with what they call jQuery soup. So all this jQuery everywhere and you know god things... and it was there's like 500 files that, that are you know js scripts and they're each little one line things that you just have everywhere yeah and i never and that's the thing about rails i never understood is that they had a js for every page it's well like, i i didn't do it that way but... i didn't do, i didn't do it that way either you know I would so do that sometimes like... if I had a very specific script for a very specific page that needed to do something really, you know, mm -hmm. offbeat. But most of the time I was trying to keep things kind of generalized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It never made sense because everything was going to be put in a big ball of JS to begin with. But Right. Now, to be so fair, I mean... jQuery was a lot better than prototype. Yeah. 
Yeah. I didn't use too much prototype, but yeah. It, oh, ew. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so after jQuery, the next thing they started to try was CoffeeScript. All right, well, let's not stop writing JavaScript and let's write something that's presumably a little bit easier. And to me, that was, I started converting my code and then I ripped it all out a couple of years ago because I'm like, what the heck is this? I mean, because that's the thing. Rails has brought something in and then they throw it out later. I'm like, oh gosh. So, so particularly with JavaScript, in my own application, I'm actually still at the jQuery level. I have still have a fair amount of jQuery in my application because I haven't wanted to, I didn't know what the next direction would be, but I haven't liked the directions that we've gone yeah. <laughs> over these years. Well, and see, I feel the same way about CoffeeScript that I feel about Cucumber. It's, hey, there's this extra added layer of stuff that's not really buying me a whole lot. It's pretty, but it's just more work for no real benefit. Yeah, and every time I worked with CoffeeScript, I always had the website up, JavaScript to CoffeeScript, or CoffeeScript to JavaScript, the translate, <laughs> because I was constantly, like, I may find, uh, you know, some, I'm looking for JavaScript to do something in particular that I want to do, and, you know, but my stuff was written in CoffeeScript, so I say, well, I should make it written in CoffeeScript. So I got to translate anything I find, because trying to find a CoffeeScript version of what I was looking for was not frequent. You know, so it's like, ugh. Yeah, I, I wish that that had never been a thing, because what it caused was, hey, I'm looking for JavaScript to do something, and while that was a big deal, everybody's writing everything in CoffeeScript. So, you know, you go to all the news groups and the postings and stuff, and and it's all in coffee script and you're like, I, I don't want that. I just want some JavaScript. <laughs> Could you guys, but then you just take that and you paste it in the JS to coffee script translators. <laughs> right. But it's just, you know, you go looking through it and trying to find the best snippet for what you're trying to do. And then you go, Oh God, now I got to learn coffee script. I've spent all these years learning JavaScript. Now I got to turn around and learn another language that will translate back into the language I learned in the first place. So why didn't yep. I just stay here? It's, yep. it's yeah. And then along with that, or sometime around then they brought out turbo links. And of course, turbo links, was a huge thing that the first reaction from the community was disable it, don't install it. Yeah. When you install Rails, turn that off. Exactly. <laughs> but now over the last number of years, people are start, it's matured to the point, hey, well, maybe you could potentially use it. And well, they now fixed a lot of the issues. And when it came out, it was, it was bad broken. Well, it also broke a lot of people's jQuery soup because of, what it was trying to do and that yeah. jQuery was kind of globally, uh, it, it didn't work in harmony with that model. Crapped all over our spec test suites too, let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I mean like TurboLinks, I'm still not using it. So I never used it. I've used CopyScript, I've since ripped it out. And I'm talking about my own application, not clients that I've been working with. So the next change that came was 
support for Webpack. So it took Rails a long time. And there, I may be missing some changes here. If you remember any, let me know. But, um, or you can leave in the comments. <laughs> but um, Webpack, and I know for years, they were hesitant to put Webpack in. There was a hesitancy with it, I think. Uh, I don't know if it was years, but it, it was definitely quite a while. Like they were talking about it, but they, they didn't do it. But then finally, I can't even remember, you know, they, they did it and then it, they made it the main thing. I think Rails 6 is when Webpacker it, was put I, in it, as a yeah, default. Yeah, either 6 or 6. Point, I, I can't remember exactly. Yeah. I remember I just installed 6.1, like, and Webpack, that was something I was like, nope, nope, not doing it, not touching it. Now, but I have had on my to-do list, all right, I got to convert myself to Webpack because <laughs> When is the asset pipeline not going to support this stuff anymore? You know, you don't want to go too far, yeah. you know. And recently I installed Rails 6.1 and it installed all the initial Rails file pretty quickly, all the Rails files pretty quickly. And then it spent the majority of its time doing the <laughs> NPM bundle and all this kind of running. I was like, mm -hmm. what? I, I don't want to have to run this every time I'm doing it. I don't know. So yeah. It, that was another thing that made me say, ugh, Webpack. Yeah. Now, are, are you using Webpack in any of your repositories that, you, that you've worked with recently? No, we don't use it um, at the company um, because we just haven't had a reason to go through the transition process. I've used it. I've put, I've put up some little 6.1 play around apps um but and and have played with it in there so far i'm not terribly excited about it and even less so now that i've heard the rail 7 spiel so okay. all right so yeah so i mean i i've also kept looking at different versions and thinking oh will they make it better at some point All right, so the next change that I remember seeing was um, Hotwire, and that was basically this past, I think it was this, I did this December or January. So basically Hotwire means HTML over the wire. So what, I guess, I don't know if it's the last decade or what, but um, it seems like it's probably been the last decade. So as of a decade ago, approximately, most things were server rendered and they delivered HTML to the customer. But as websites have become more dynamic, what's happening is the, and everyone knows this, it's the rise of the single page app for people wanting to write essentially everything in JavaScript and using frameworks. You know, it started with Backbone or Angular or, you know, React, now Vue or, you know, any of these. And there have been a gobs and gobs, of course, of them. But it's basically writing your JavaScript application and then what you talk to the database is basically not, excuse me, not database, your backend application server is basically delivering JSON 
So it's not sending HTML back and forth. It's sending JSON back and forth mm -hmm. through an API. And, you know, Rails supported this a number of years ago that basically you could install Rails just as an API. So we will just send JSON to your front end and you would just, you know, work with it there. But this goes to kind of how Basecamp has been writing their stuff. They don't want to send JSON over the wire and then have that rendering and everything happen on the client, but instead send HTML over the wire. So send HTML snippets, and that way your rendering still happens on the server, but you're just sending the, the done HTML over that can be styled by the you know, CSS that's there. And the JavaScript is meant to just add interactive elements to it. So as DHH says, it's JavaScript sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> And the other advantage that they use this for is that is also to produce mobile apps. So you can produce mobile apps that consume the same HTML. And they're arguing that it's easier to write things this way, HTML over the wire, as opposed to JSON over the wire. It's easier to write. Also, I think, I think a lot of this has to do with, um, well, not a lot of it, but I mean, I think if we didn't have mobile, if that wasn't as big as it was, I don't think that we'd be going here because the what this has done is shift the processing load back to the server instead of distributing it amongst the clients, yep. which wouldn't make sense except in the case of mobile devices because they don't have as much processing power. So... In that case, it's better for them to just get the HTML snippets. So I, I suspect, were we not such a mobile society, that this wouldn't have been a thing. Yeah, I think I think it's a, I think that's part of it. But again, you know, every month, mobile devices get faster, the network bandwidth gets faster. So that, I think that's probably less of a reason as time goes on it will be and i i'm i'm gonna bet you you hear this you hear this now audience in five years we're gonna swap this right back around and say hey the client should be processing all this stuff so we can keep the servers from running over yeah it, it kind of also this is also a it's a pendulum Mm -hmm. That's how I kind of think about it. So that is one type of pendulum that swings back and forth. The other one I think is client server versus, you know, single terminal based. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. So, you know, full, finding a full, finding a full stack engineer was more common a, a, a decade ago. Yep. Because they could basically write your whole app and just have some JavaScript sprinkles, and you didn't need someone to worry about creating a whole independent application that runs on the browser. Right. Basically, your JavaScript was simple enough that all the browsers could kind of handle. I mean, yeah, it took some work, but you know, you could do it. And you know, I come from a full stack engineer background. I believe you do. Yep. Yeah, you do as well. Yeah. But 
when you're, but this single page web app is actually a client server architecture. So you still have the server you need to worry about, but now you have the client you need to worry about and write for, you know, independently. Mm -hmm. So it's way back to what happened two plus decades ago where you had client server architectures. So I think that pendulum will keep swinging between say, yeah. a, I'll call it a terminal architecture, which is write most of your stuff on the server and just push the minimal amount of display changes to the client versus a client server architecture where you put a lot of logic in the client, like a lot of JavaScript, and the server still, you know, has to serve its right. purpose. Well, and, you know, back in the 80s, it was dumb terminals, those flipping green on black DOS screens. If you were connected to and a all network. They, all they did was accept an input and then send the display. They did no processing, right. essentially. I mean, they were just, they, there was a reason they called them dumb terminals, because they just sat there and displayed things to you. And that's exactly kind of what a full stack engineer wants. You want right. to be able to just have the minimal amount of executing code on the browser and just have it mostly done on the server side. Right. And there's a reason for that because then I have control over what's going on and I'm not as dependent on Microsoft decided to change this and Chrome decided to change this and Firefox it. you know, I can just say, look, this is, I'm, I'm handling all of it. So I know what it's all doing. Yeah. And, and then the, there's the other side of it is that I'm sure there, this has caused kind of the rise of people who are wanting to um, look for solutions that just let them write front end code. Mm -hmm. So they just want to write front end code and then store their data somewhere in JSON. So they don't want to handle back end server. They don't want no processing on the server. Right. So that's another kind of reverse model that's that's come into being. Right. I mean, there's still a server, but they want to do as little as possible with it. And I talk to a lot of old full stackers like me that are like, I'm tired of handling and dealing with and writing all the stuff. Let the browsers take care of some of it. Crap. I'm just like, what, like, what do you mean? Do you have an example of what you're talking about? Like, you know, let me let me get a front end developer to handle writing all the JavaScript weirdisms to display things. I don't want to oh, write okay. the displays anymore. I just want to deal with the the infrastructure, not the infrastructure. Oh God, no! I just want to deal with the data and the you know passing the data back and forth and writing the APIs and stuff. I don't I don't want to care what color the button is. I'm just I'm over that. Yeah, so I mean, so that would be a you know essentially a client server architecture, right? Thing. But then you've got to you've got to kind of decentralize it. You kind of lose the full stack developers because everybody's you know yeah. I'm I'm a platform person, I'm an API person, I'm a cr um, front end person. So, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I'm just saying that's a shift in. Um, what things were a decade ago. And I, it does require, you know, more people to write something now, mm -hmm. you know, because, and it depends on what size your company is, what can they support? Because I believe going this HTML, HTML over the wire route, you could conceivably have just a few full stack call them full stack engineers 
that are managing running an application, including mobile apps that are using this HTML over the wire. But if you needed to do something equivalent with a client server architecture, you're probably going to have to have more people with different skills, probably someone that needs to write your um, iPhone app, someone who needs to write your Android app, someone who needs to write the JavaScript on the front, you know, so you're going to talk about more people. Right. So I believe my interpretation, my conclusion is that it's a higher cost way of developing an application if you go the client server route versus say the, the terminal route, which we'll call this one. Right. There is. But the other problem is, and, and I mean, just just this show is kind of exemplifying one of the reasons that that's happening. All the crap that we've been talking about that JS has gone through has just happened in the past decade. And it's a full time job just to keep up with JavaScript. Not to mention all the other stuff that full stack entails. So it's it's getting to be almost impossible to be able to know enough to be full stack anymore i mean it's it, not impossible but it's really hard you got to put a lot of time and effort into it well that's the thing that makes this appealing to me this direction that it seems like rails is taken mm -hmm. so kind of let's go to what happened is that this post was a recent announcement so again hotwire uh, was announced i believe in december or january and there were a lot of people that were ecstatic upon receiving it. There were tons of blog posts about it and videos and everything. Um, and basically this Rail 7 announcement kind of pushes it to the fore. And basically Hotwire is going to be a key component of how Rails works. So basically it doesn't do away with JavaScript, but the amount of JavaScript you have to write that gets you a lot of browser interactivity um, for free, well, not for free, but basically you can write as much, you can write a significant amount in Ruby and then just add in some JavaScript to, you know, again, sprinkles to make it extra special. Mm -hmm. And I'm really liking this path they're going down. And I kind of, look forward to see, okay, how can I, because I've been waiting forever. I, in my application, I've had a JavaScript partial soup. I have had some React that I've used. So I'm using React for certain highly interactive components, <laughs> but I've never been happy with the React. I've never been happy with the jQuery and I've, I never got into Webpack, but this direction, I'm kind of like, okay, this makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm looking forward to say, all right, how can I finally get something maybe I'm more comfortable with? So I'm interested to see what they right. come up with. Well, and this checks all the boxes for me, this, this new path, because it gets rid of a lot of the extra layers of complexity that we've built up over the past decade on top of JavaScript. It strips a lot of that crap away and just says, okay, if you're gonna write JavaScript, write it put it in a couple of places, but we've developed now a framework that can deal with a lot less individual JavaScript writing. And it's a lot higher level JavaScript than what we has to deal, what we used to have to deal with in jQuery and prototype and stuff like that. Um, so 
it's ticking all the boxes for me because while yeah you have to learn some javascript you don't have to learn as much as you used to and and a lot of that was not learning how to write javascript that a lot of that was learning to get your <laughs> javascript bundled and compiled just to get it running which is ridiculous a lot of it was learning how to google snippets that other people had learned javascript but, well no what i was saying <laughs> writing javascript writing javascript is not not that hard no. i mean because to write a code to do a loop to do a conditional statement to do you know whatever yeah. but and yeah they've made changes with okay don't use var anymore use let use const you know a lot of these i mean those are evolution that you do but so much of the time that it, frankly i never invested was a lot of this uh the javascript tool pipeline right that has come up and i'm just like I've just wanted to, I just never <laughs> dealt with it. Cause like, again, I'm still kind of like a full stack engineer. I was like, I ain't got time for this. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's changed. It changes so fast that, you know, when Webpack, when they announced Webpacker, I was like, I, I, I'm not even going to find out what the hell that is because I don't have time to learn a whole new thing. I've got, you know, 8 million things I'm trying to do. Business has to keep moving forward. We have to keep making features and bug fixes. I don't have time to keep changing, you know, the latest pretty thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. And the significant thing is, does it make my life better? Right. And for all these changes over the years, I'm like, my calculus has been, it does not make my life better. But with this and what kind of the promises, I'm like, okay, I could see how this could make my life better. Yeah, as I was reading through this article, I was like, good, 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 very good. When is it out, coming out? I want it now. Because there's nothing in there in this path that I saw that I was like, oh, God, that's going to be a whole new thing that I had to, eh, mm, mm, it's not worth it. This is the first time I've been excited about JavaScript for a decade. And, you know, like Rails, it does have conventions you need to understand and fit in, but those are acceptable, you know, yeah. to, to me from what I was reading. Yeah, this is the first time the trade-off seems worth it to me. Yeah. So. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, so like to this day, so I wanted to kind of talk about current applications and their JavaScript state or whatever. So mm -hmm. to this day, my own application, I still put script tags for certain things um, and I don't bundle them up. Like for example, the WYSIWYG editor I use on say five pages in my internal application that's behind a login. I still just use script tags to pull that in to use the JavaScript. I don't have it in my JavaScript bundle. Do you, in any applications you've used, use JavaScript on the page anymore? Oh yeah, I, I do that quite often. And it's it's because it makes more sense to me. I don't want all of the JavaScript loading up every page that I have. You know, I've got way, it, because most of the time the apps I work on are so big and have so many different areas 
that JavaScript gets used fairly heavily, but differently in those areas. So I don't want this area's JavaScript having to be loaded in this area's page. It doesn't make any sense. So I just load this page's, the, the JavaScript this page needs with JavaScript tags, and the same thing over here. Not to mention the fact that, like we were talking about last week with the, the time to first view, a lot of the time you'll want to put those JavaScript tags at the bottom of your page so that, you know, it doesn't spend a lot of time loading that crap up when it doesn't need to, to get something in front of the viewer. It's not always the case, but... Um, now, would you do these uh, script tags in, like, as part of a layout or as part of just the template or view, sorry, that you're using? Well, it, it yes, depends on the particular application. Um, okay. If it was it, because like a lot of times there'd be like groups of pages, like let's say, for instance, a good example would be the admin section of my app, right? Those are all going to use the JavaScript. So I'll have an admin layout that loads the JavaScript with a tag for all those pages because they're all going to use it. Yeah. Um, but then I do have some that are, you know, this page does this very specific thing and it has this Java file, JavaScript that's too big to put inline, which I will use some inline things if they're really small. It's rare, but you know, it's kind of one of those hammer and duct tape things. If I've got to go fast and it's really small JavaScript, I'll just put it right there in a script tag. But, um, you know, there are times where I've got JavaScript that's only going to be used for this page because it does something weird. And I don't want to load that anywhere else. So it gets its own file and it gets its own script tag and just in that page. So, yeah. Okay. So like the applications that you're using currently, do, are they using the asset pipeline still predominantly or are they using Webpack? I think you said they're not using, web, or at least at your current company, they're not using Webpack. No. The, the, well, the current, the current app I'm working on hasn't moved up to six yet. Okay. So they're still they're still using the the five point one asset pipeline, um, and there's a a metric crap ton of JavaScript in this app. I mean, this app is huge. So, um, yes, they're using the pipeline. I don't have to deal with that directly very much because I don't do the deploys. Um, I just have to be cognizant of when I'm doing JavaScript, what is going to happen down the road so that you know, the people who do the deploys don't come shoot me in the face. Do they, like this particular app, is it jQuery or is it some other library that you're using? Like, is it, or do you not really it's, deal that much with the JavaScript? I don't deal a whole lot with the JavaScript in this particular app. Um, okay. They do use and this app has been around for quite a while. So it's, you know, it's got a lot of history that has history. <laughs> yeah. That hasn't all been updated. So yes, there is some jQuery in there. Um, there's also just a lot of plain old JavaScript, um, you know, so uh, fortunately I say this, fortunately they didn't use a lot of jQuery there's little bits of it, but the majority of the JavaScript that I've seen is just JavaScript. And they 
I think they consciously made that decision so that they wouldn't be dependent on any frameworks that might go in or out of style and not be updated and all that kind of stuff. It's just JavaScript. Okay. Yeah, like I said, I um, the app that I work with is predominantly jQuery. And then for certain segments that have a high amount of interactivity, I'm using React. Um, for that, just because I said I want to use something, and I was like, "All right, I'll." This seems to be the most at the time that I picked it. It seemed to be one of the more popular ones, and it could live in harmony in a certain way <laughs> with jQuery. So I was like, "Okay, I'm like, because I'm not using it as a single page web app at all. It's simply just one single component that is on one segment of the page." And it doesn't even talk uh, through JSON to my app at all. Basically, mm -hmm. I just use it as an interactivity component. And then there's a separate form submit that submits the state of that form and collects the information. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, there's, there is a good, good smattering of React script in there in this app as well. So it's, like I said, it's huge. There's, there's a lot of different services. So there's, you know, different people have worked on different areas of the code and, um, or different services that are implemented. So, um, there's, there's a lot of different stuff a and that's, that's one of the issues I've, I've had with a lot of these changes to the JavaScript is there's prototype and then there's jQuery and then there's react and then there's, when does it end? Let's just do JavaScript and it's just JavaScript. I, I'm tired of learning a new language every 18 months. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, some, you know, the purpose of React was for building UIs, essentially. That's, mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a library. It's not a, you know, language itself uses JavaScript, but it's really a framework for building UIs. Right. But I agree. There's still a ton of different ones that are, coming out every now and again. And All then right, CoffeeScript. So, so yeah, you got to go learn well, CoffeeScript, yeah, which yeah, also yeah, then yeah, transpiles yeah. into JavaScript that you have to read if you're going to troubleshoot it on the... Good Lord. Just... <laughs> so now we should also include this link. There was a link where uh, David Hennemeyer Hansen, DHH, ran through a video as well. So we'll need to include that in the links of or we will include that in the links yeah. for this uh, video or for the show. Um, <clears throat> and I encourage you not only to read the post, but also look at the video to get a sense of kind of what's coming in Rails 7. Because I think, yeah, I, that was another piece of content that really convinced me this was a pretty interesting way to go. Mm -hmm. And he sure. does show that, you know, this new technique, you can still use Vue. You can still use react uh in your application um one thing he said is that because you know essentially jsx which is the templating language used by react does require transpiling you can't use react with jsx so if that's how you write your react is in that jsx jsx uh, language or um, 
or what's the term? Anyway, the, the code you use to write JSX, that won't work because it needs to be transpiled. So you mm -hmm. actually need to you write it in the JavaScript form of React if you want it to work. He also said that um, you can still use Webpack. So this won't be a, you know, our way or the highway. You can still use Webpack right. support, but it looks like Rails 7 by default will not require Webpack anymore, which is ironic. So it's kind of like Webpack was introduced <laughs> as the main thing for six and Yay, six point one. Webpack. Get rid of it. Exactly. <laughs> It's like CoffeeScript. Yay, we got CoffeeScript. Maybe yay. And then, okay, we got rid of it. Or we got prototype. Okay, we got rid of it. Yeah. So I don't, this also seems to be a more maintainable path because we're not, it's like Rails made the decision to choose prototype and then abandoned it. And it chose to use jQuery and essentially abandoned it. It's chose to use Webpack and abandoned it. So, Everything was kind of chosen and then abandoned. This move seems like we're adopting a way of thinking of using JavaScript that is not really library-based. Yes, there are libraries that Rails will use to depend on it, but it seems like it's a mindset that is kind of what this change inspires. So it's not like something that will have to be thrown out. I could be wrong with that, but it looks like. Well, the impression I get is that, you know, Rails and, you know, it's 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 funny to say those things about Rails. Yeah, we chose this and throw it out, throws this, and throw it out. And I've, I've griped about that for a decade. But to be fair to Rails, that's because the ecosystem was saying, hey, here's a thing. Let's throw it out. Here's a thing. Let's throw it out. So, you know, Rails was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. I think what we're seeing now is that enough tree shaking has been done in the JavaScript ecosystem and has gotten mature enough that we're not going to see these rapid shifts in thought processes like we did over the past decade. And so this path has kind of shaken out as this is, this is where we kind of need to go. Well, I mean, I don't know, because if that's necessarily the case, I mean, I think there are a lot of people, because there's one thing I'll say about DHH is that he has been a trailblazer. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, Rails, the way of thinking of how Rails was designed from like a model view controller panel, excuse me, pattern. Mm -hmm that there was kind of nobody was writing web applications using that kind of, and I'm probably, people can yell at me in the comments because I'm probably wrong, but it seemed like that was- That wasn't mainstream. A different yet. way of thinking. Yeah, it wasn't mainstream, but he basically brought it, that brought a whole bunch of people in to start using and enjoying the framework. And then as a result of that, you know, Python with Django kind of adopted the same model. Microsoft's .NET, their web framework kind of adopted the same model. Um, PHP and what was it? Laravel, I believe, 
there were a bunch of different web frameworks, but I think mm -hmm. Laravel kind of was adopting the same similar model. So now you can actually go to some of these other frameworks written in different languages and they feel Rails-esque to a large extent. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if that's what's happening with this, meaning that because this isn't a certain path, people can continue with their, because, hey, I've already invested all this time and learned and learned about um, all this JavaScript tooling, and maybe they're happy with it. Yeah. And maybe they use, they have gobs and gobs of JSX, and they're like in React, and they're like, hey, no way I'm rewriting this, or, you know, so basically they're, I don't want to say they're stuck on Webpack, but it's, they made the investment, and they're going to keep going down this path and, you know, think yeah, until of, there's a reason to change it. Businesses aren't going to change it. I mean, it's not just, yeah. they don't change things just because they're pretty, you know, and Google has angular and Facebook has react. So they're going to still keep going down that path and presumably Webpack and other tools are going to, you know, there's a lot of inertia behind that. And I feel this is kind of like a slightly different direction in the minority but was what would be interesting is does the same thing that like happened with Rails where he kind of like came up with this way of doing a web framework using kind of this model view control pat control pattern? Is this another kind of I, I don't want to say way, but that's a lack of a better word for it. Is it gonna this is a similar way? of doing JavaScript a little bit differently. Like maybe there's some people that are probably doing this and experimenting with it, but with Rails adopting this, is this suddenly gonna get the attention of a lot of people? It's like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. We should do that. <laughs> yeah, well, true. I think though that, that what has happened is ES6 now has incorporated a lot of the stuff that ended up getting built on top of JavaScript originally. So some of the framework aspects, some of the higher level programming aspects and stuff are getting wound into the core so that we don't have to rely on all this other cruft as much. And so what's happening is it's things are, I think things are starting to settle out a little bit in the JavaScript ecosystem. And the Rails team is kind of helping that along and and being prescient about the fact that hey this is this is a good way to go and we should start defaulting this um so that people start hooking into it and you know there are still some uh, as excited as we are about this new path there are still some changes that have to come down the pike for it to really take hold um, so I think this path is kind of just the beginning at its beginning, um, because things like some, some apps may still require Webpack. React still relies on a transpiler for JSX. Um, the JavaScript, JavaScript ecosystem still has some JavaScript packages out there that, that need to update and, and deliver differently. Um, you know, the, the, We've we've got to use shims right now for Safari and Firefox, I think, for the ES6 support. So, 
you know, that's... Know, that was for the JavaScript import maps. Oh, the import maps, right. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, there's still some some bits and pieces that aren't quite there. Yeah, um, I mean, I think there are going to be some sharp edges come the release of Rails 7. But oh, hopefully yeah, those sure. will be filed down without taking too much time. I don't know. Uh, we'll, see. well, we'll see. I mean, proof's in the pudding, I suppose, but... Uh, but like I said, this is the first time I've been excited about JavaScript changes in probably a decade. It's, it's JavaScript has just been a nightmare for a long time. And, you know, I think this, this is kind of pulling together. Not that JavaScript was bad and not that any of the ideas were bad. They were all, they were all incremental pushes forward to where things needed to go. Um, but it, it just was too much moving too fast. And I think I'd like to see it settle a little bit. And I think that's where it's going. But we'll see. We shall see. We shall see. All right. Well, hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, we're excited about it. I guess next week, what are we talking about next week? We're going I think to we're going to be talking about date times potentially. Oh, date time hell. Yay. All right. Well, we'll see you for that one next Wednesday at 8 p.m. That would be what September 8th, I think. Yep. Yep. Um so uh we will see you there for that one. Hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please make sure and mash that like button, follow, subscribe, whichever platform you're seeing this on. We are on Twitter. Or Twitter. We are on <laughs> Holy crap. I was up till like 11 o'clock. I believe last it's night. called Twitch. Twitch. YouTube. YouTube. I was trying to figure out and issues last night. We should <laughs> announce that the podcast version is ready. So yep. if you want to listen to our lovely voices <laughs> instead of watching our ugly mugs, <laughs> you can do so hopefully on your podcast provider. Um, like we Google podcast should be available, Spotify, um, haven't gotten confirmation of Apple podcast podcasts yet, but that should be coming. You could also visit our website at rubberduckdevshow.com. And there you could watch on each episode page, either the video or listen on, uh, listen to the audio version. Right. So keep following along, join us on rubberduckdevshow.com. And as always, until next time, happy programming. Yep. Bye.